right, hour two, a Wildcat Insider. After work for some, a lot of people didn't go in today, and I don't blame you whatsoever. Chiefs got it done in Super Bowl 57. Go and enjoy yourself. I saw pictures of Aggieville and uh, videos of, I don't think people are exactly flooding the streets, but flooding the sidewalks. You had to let the traffic through. Nobody was climbing any poles. I remember, they saved uh, that for Philly. I remember um, after Super Bowl 54, John Kurtz and I, after going to a Super Bowl party, were like, hey, let's go check out Aggie. Let's see what's going on. So we go down there, and uh, as we uh, walk by Rally House, they're like, holy crap, there's a bunch of people out here. <laughs> it's like this place is pl- flooded. Like people are in uh-huh. the streets. Like cops had to shut down Moro and uh, right out front of uh, Yard Bar. Is where a lot of people were. So we, we walk around, and we're going past it. Like, we're just going to continue down. And we're like, oh, nobody goes past kites. It's just everybody on this half. No, nobody's really down the other half. It wasn't as crazy as I thought it would right. be for the Chiefs winning its first Super Bowl in 50 years. I don't know how crazy it was last night, but I just hope everybody had a good, safe time and not too hungover today. And hopefully by now you're over it. Right. As I joked about... Extra extra strength doses of five-hour energy today. Meanwhile, um, the Cats loss on Saturday. I'm not too quite over that one yet. That one still stings a little bit. Let's head down to Norman, Oklahoma. Let's bring in the voice of the Wildcats, Hall of Fame voice, Wyatt Thompson. Wyatt, let's start with the Super Bowl. What did you end up doing last night? Well, I was probably pretty boring uh, <laughs> for the most part. It was Karen and I at home with her mother and also uh, Julie Clark, Mike's. Uh, wife joined us. He was out of town. So it was kind of Wyatt and three gals sitting there watching whatever that was uh, at halftime. I still, I'm, I'm, I'm so old, I don't even know what that is. Uh, but but other than that, I think we enjoyed it. It was a pretty good time. It was a heck of a football game, man. Wyatt, if, if you had to get up at 5 a.m. to do a morning show, would you miss the last eight minutes to go to bed? Would I miss the last eight minutes to go to bed? Take your no. fandom out of it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not built that way. I, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that was too good a football game. Um, I remember uh, years ago in Fort Collins when I first started there doing a split where I would get up at three o'clock in the morning and was still doing some games at night. That was a little bit difficult, but I did it because I loved it so much. And I, I don't like missing games. Like, like I'll. I'll switching back and forth those two conference games tonight guys just kind of what i do yeah and, and just thank god it's a great game it was a great game oh yeah i that's as a matter he, of fact he's, he's just piling on is all he's doing uh, wyatt is that he's giving me hate because i went to bed at at you know oh. roughly 8 30 ish he had a morning well, show host well that's it and, and you know what i know guys that are just like you and that's what they do <laughs> and they stay in their routine I can't criticize that either, um, but but for me, I, I'm just not. I just can't do it like that. I, I was too much into the game. I think if I were going to say anything else, that I don't know if this would entertain anybody at all or not. But uh, I I, uh, I probably did a little bit too much questioning of uh, a little bit of the officiating and quite a bit of the play-by-play announcer. I didn't think. Mr. Burkhart was all that great last night. I, I truly did. And I usually do not criticize announcers, as you guys know. I just usually don't. But I thought he was 
ordinary as, as ordinary gets. Yeah, we had that discussion in the office earlier that uh, it wasn't a standout <laughs> broadcast. Yeah, and I like Greg Olson. I think he does a really pretty good job. I, I, I think he's kind of one of those guys that he has a pretty good balance between talking to the football community, if you will, the, the people that really know the game, and then, you know, the ones that don't, and he explains it pretty well to them. So, that to me, that's a really pretty hard job, I, I think. And again, nothing against Burkhardt uh, personally. I, I just thought he was just kind of just okay. Um, for, for that good a game, I thought he should have been better. Yeah, uh, this was my complaint. I, I agree. I, you're basically repeating what I was telling Troy earlier, and that is I thought Greg Olson was, was fantastic with his color commentary. Well, with Kevin Burkhardt, I just felt like my reaction was he just ha- doesn't have the big game voice for a big game and big plays, especially down the stretch. Didn't have the delivery I was hoping for for a Super Bowl broadcaster. Well, that's and, and in fairness, that's probably the right way to look at it too, Mitch, because he hasn't done, you know, anything quite like that. And and hey, you've done a lot of broadcasting, but but think about what it would be like to have sat in his seat last night. It is not easy. I'm not trying to say that in any way, and maybe I'm a little bit too harsh, but. Um, you know, I, I, I just I, I think about all of the Super Bowl games that I've watched, and I just thought it was a little bit below par. That's all I'm, all I'm trying to say. I, I, uh, but but it also was his first time in the chair, and I appreciate that, too. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get better as he gets more experience with those gigantic – I mean, it's as big as it gets, really, as a broadcaster. I would have been puking in the, in the bathroom uh, before that game because I would have been incredibly nervous. <laughs> yeah, well – I, I guess I understand that too because I have not seen the ratings yet. Have you? I, I, I can't wait to see that because it was, you know, you have an East Coast team and Patrick Mahomes, and uh, I don't know if it would have set any records, but I just think most of the world, if, if they didn't have, you know, any skin in the game, they still had to enjoy that that night, don't you think? Yeah, and I'm sure the numbers will be just absolutely through the yeah. roof you you mentioned that you weren't too happy with the officiating so were you were you upset with the holding call there towards the end of the game on the eagles no not at all i thought i thought that was the right call yeah uh, I, it, it seemed to me and maybe i just didn't see the game like everybody else uh, um to me there were a few times and when i say a few i'm talking you know two or three or four maybe where i thought the philadelphia offensive line had a guy move a little bit too quick mm-hmm. or the uh, play clock actually legitimately ran out. Um, and, and I know what the explanation is that they give, that, that they give them down to zero and and then the snap of the ball. And, and then there were probably a couple of those, but it just uh, it just seemed like there was a little bit of movement. And, and again, maybe I'm, I'm totally nitpicking here because um, I like the fact that they didn't make a lot of calls and let the game be played out on the field for the most part. I, I know people will argue about, you know, the, the, the holding call late, but, you know, I, I thought Greg Olson did a really good job of explaining that, and so did the, the other pieces of the broadcast in, in that you could do a lot of things, uh, turn the guy a little bit, grab his arm, grab his hand, whatever, but you, you tug on that jersey, that's an automatic, isn't it? That's the way I, I read it. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Juju Smith Schuster is trying to go the other way, run away from him, basically. And yeah, the front of the jersey gets gets grabbed. And I thought, yeah, it was very obvious. I forgot about what you were talking about uh, just a few seconds ago about 
the offensive lineman for the Eagles kind of getting an extra, or like a, a bit of a fast start, let's say, on the snap. Like right before the snap, he is reaching that right leg back to get a little bit of an extra uh, little half second start on the play. I, I totally agree with you on that. I, I kind of forgot about it, but that yeah, that was getting uncalled as well. Well, like a couple of times, uh, and even they talked about this too, that Lane Johnson, the, the tackle on that right side, is so good that, you know, he <laughs> he's just a little bit quicker than everybody else, and, and he should not be penalized for that. I, I guess I can appreciate that too. But he's, uh, boy, if you really watch him, that's why I think this, this win for the Chiefs must feel so good for all the real diehards out there because I believe that they beat a terrific football team, um, a team that is very good at the line of scrimmage. I thought on the biggest stage, uh, Jalen Hurts was really good last night. Uh, I, I wasn't all that optimistic that the Chiefs were going to win the game at halftime, fellas. I'm just being honest about that. And for them to come back and play that kind of second half uh, kind of tells you how tough they are, too. Great yes. Excellent second half for the Chiefs, especially with the offensive line. Really doing a great job protecting Patrick Mahomes, who rolled up that ankle, and then he's coming out and scrambling at the football quite well when he needed to. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, there, I guess there's always plays where, I mean, I didn't think for five seconds that that he was going to get it out. I guess is the best way to say it, regardless of how much he was hurting. Um, I, I think he's one of the game's great competitors, and you, you appreciate guys like that. Uh, and it was obvious he was hurting, but uh, that didn't matter. Um, 30 minutes of football, and this season's over, right? I mean, I'm sure that's how he looked at it, too. All right, Wyatt, let's talk about, uh, about K-State men's basketball, still 12th in the nation. They go 1-1 one and one this past week with a win over TCU and a loss in Lubbock. Uh, back on Saturday, let's start with the TCU game where the Cats went 82-61. Of course, TCU without Mike Miles, but it was a great second-half performance by the Cats scoring 46 points. i got to tell you, I did have a couple of different feelings with the two games and how they ended, but uh, how how much fun was it watching Tyke Green get multiple dunks, finishing with 13 points, and Desi Sills thought he played very well on both ends of the floor, and he finished with 14. I was thrilled for Tyke because, as Coach talked about after the game and in his presser, and you know, really for a few days there, that that Tyke had had come to him and said he felt like, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, that he just wasn't doing enough and wanted to know what else he could do to help. And um, I, I just appreciate him in terms of you know trying uh, and, and approaching Coach on what else, what can I do? Um, it. it to me, I, I just think that says a lot about the type of kid he is, how much he wants to win, those kind of things. And I was really proud of the team for bouncing back the way they did in that game against Texas. Now they turned around and laid an egg on Saturday, which really stings. But we'll, And I know we'll talk about that in a moment. But for Ty Key and Desi both, I thought they played really, really well. And really, the truth is, is the whole team did with you know five guys in double figures. And I thought they did it. I know Miles wasn't in there, but I thought they defended a really, really quality offensive team. To me, one of the really great things is is that they played well enough and rebounded well enough that you didn't see TCU hardly get any fast-break points, and that's where they kill everybody. Yeah, and we were hoping that Keontae Johnson would, uh, you know, hopefully not get into foul trouble, yet he picks up what – didn't he pick up a couple of fouls in the first minute? Am, am I right about that? Do I remember that right? Yeah, I think like it was a minute 17 or something like that. Um, it was very, very quick, and I thought it had 
you know, an impact on, on K-State. And yes, uh, I think the coaches were excited that with him setting for the length of time that he did, that not only did they maintain a little bit of a lead, but they actually build on it a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And I thought that was a big part of it, too. And then you, you knew... Uh, I just thought they showed a lot of toughness and grit in the second half. Um, the first half was, was solid, no question about that. But the, the second half, they just took it to a different level, in my mind. Well, yeah, big difference, I thought, with the halves was in the first half, K-State was was still doing a great job. They just couldn't separate themselves. It was They couldn't get it past six points or a seven-point lead. TCU was able to find their answers. It was the second half where K-State – they buckled down defensively, made more stops, and was able to really jump that lead out. And that was, of course, big thanks to the way the bench had two double-digit scores. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, this has been a team, as we all know, that, you know, most times uh, those two main guys are, are going to be pretty good. Everybody says this, and it is so. Who's the third guy and, and hopefully a fourth guy to step up a little bit? And they're pretty hard to beat when that's the case. Well, they're really hard to beat when you <laughs> when you have five guys that are scoring and you get that kind of production off your bench because the bench has just been, for the most part, uh, scoring-wise I'm talking about now, up and down a little bit. I, as an example with Bebe, I, I thought Bebe played one of his better games in a, in a long time in the game Saturday, even though K-State played poorly and had 23 turnovers. He, he was pretty good. And uh, and, and, and he, had, he had seven points and five rebounds, and that doesn't sound like a monumental amount, but it is for for him and in, in you know just a little less than sixteen minutes in a game where they were struggling to get anything done offensively, frankly. Speaking with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson here on Wildcat Insider. Wyatt, we'll take our first break and when we come back we'll get more into the big issues that took place Saturday in a loss to Texas Tech in Lubbock. And also we get a preview of K-State's next opponent. As for the first time this season, the Wildcats will face the Oklahoma Sooners after this on Wildcat Insider. We're back to Wildcat Insider. Mitch Fortner, Trey Coverdale's across from me. Travion Berklin running the board. I am Mitch Fortner once again, and we're joined by K-State's Voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, who's in Norman, Oklahoma, to get ready for uh, tomorrow night's call, 8 o'clock for the tip, pregame at 7. On our sister station, 101.5 K-Rock, then we'll join in progress here on K-Man as soon as Manhattan High Hoops is done at Emporia. Well, Wyatt, K-State is now 19-6 uh, and six on the season with a 7-5 and five record in Big 12 play after losing to Texas Tech, now tied for fourth in Big 12 play, but I mean, obviously where we're going to start with the Texas Tech game was just the big issue, and that was all night long, a lot of turnovers. A lot of them were unforced errors, and I know the home run ball has been brought up a lot, but I felt like, you know, somewhere I guess, but a lot of them were just a lot of miscommunication and a lot of bad ideas, but they really added up and led to a loss to Texas Tech. Absolutely. It was, without a doubt, the key to the game. Those 23 turnovers for Kansas State, I'll painfully remind everybody listening, that, that turned into 28 Texas Tech points, and that's 28 out of 71 in an eight-point game. So uh, I think K-State had every opportunity, despite the shooting woes, uh, to, to ha- have a chance to win this thing. And I thought they were at least gutsy in hanging in there and making some runs. I would give Tech a little bit of credit. I think I read in 
Tom's game story that there were like, I don't know, maybe 12 different times it was pushed to a one-possession game in the last seven minutes or whatever, and, and it seemed like they had an answer every time. But, you know, when you go on the road and you, you shoot 34.6% in the first half and 352 for the game, which equates to just under 36% in the second half, and you have 23 turnovers, you're just not going to have a, a real great opportunity. Yes, they still did. I think I know a lot of people probably are talking about the the uh, miss that Keontae Johnson had right there at the rim, but it was a tough play and and uh, just didn't work out. That there were many many other plays that were worse. And 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 one thing that you said I think is true. I think they were forcing things a little bit. They need to just take better care of the ball and have stronger possessions um, and, and make better uh, and more crisp cuts and passes. Simply stated, they just didn't play very well, frankly. Is it obvious to say that 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 has been the biggest issue over the last the last few weeks where K State's losing these Big Twelve games? Not just the Texas game, but even on the road where they're just they, they go on these long maybe long is not the right word, but they they will go on a run, a stretch of where they're just turning the ball over too much, and they're yeah. they're actually probably just they're they're killing themselves, they're losing the game themselves because they go on a long stretch of making bad decisions. Yeah, uh, the bad decisions lead to bad shots. Uh, not good three-point looks lead to long rebounds and runouts at the other end. I mean, all of that is on the table here. Um, you know, K-State was just 19 out of 54. They were just 6 of 26 from 3, which I think tells you that they were probably settling sometimes for 3. Give Tech a little bit of credit. I don't want to not give them any credit at all for what they did because I thought they – defended pretty well and, and it is a tough environment to play in and, and all of those kind of things but if I'm being totally honest I, I think we've been in tougher <laughs> and, and I, I just don't think you know K-State played with the same pop that they had had um, you know Keontae had nine and and you can pretty much count on him for you know 15 and seven or eight almost every time out uh, but he also had five turnovers and we've talked about this in another game where you look up and down that that box score um, Naquan Tomlin, unfortunately, he was in too much foul trouble, but in a little less than 18 minutes, he had 10 points and seven rebounds. I wish he could have played 30, 35 minutes, and then maybe you get out of there and, and survive it, but uh, not not this time. But that the rest of that box score, man, you don't see very many pluses on there. Matter of fact, there were not. Everybody else was you know, in the plus-minus in the minus category, and that's that's not good enough. Yeah, he did get twelve points out of Desi Sills, but he, you know he did have four turnovers. He was five and nine yeah. from the field. It's just it's it's tough to win games when your best two players are both having off nights. They finished a combined eight of thirty from the field. Did Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel, and also two of fourteen from three point range. Again, I I would say they played great defense for sure to to go out and win that game. But just again going back to the offense, your two best players right there in the middle of that slump. It's it's hard to go win those games. It is. Uh, and, and I have to just be honest in saying this. I thought it was really one of the few times this year where you could see the frustration with Keontae Johnson. Um, uh, it, it was there in his face with the, with the play that I was talking about a moment ago, but that, that wasn't the only one. They're, they're, he just was hanging his head really for the first time, and normally he doesn't do a whole heck of a lot of that. And, and this may sound a little odd, but I was proud of Marquise for walking into the presser and basically saying, this one's on me. I've just got to be better. And, and that's 
you know, in a nutshell, kind of what he said. And, and truthfully, he's right. Um, early in the year, he wasn't forcing things. Uh, they had good spacing on the floor. They were, they were really one of the better. I don't think I'm stretching this by saying this. They were one of the better fast break teams around. But that's not necessarily what's what's happening now, and, and hopefully they can at some point get back to a little bit of that. I, I think uh, confidence has been dinged a little bit here, and, and uh, I have concerns about that for tomorrow night because this is a game tomorrow night that is winnable if you go play. Yeah, Marquise Noel's in a you know the biggest slump than anybody. He's just shooting thirty two percent from the field in the last four games, twenty one percent from three, and his uh, assist to turnovers is twenty four turnovers, eighteen assists in the yeah. last four. Yeah, and this is a guy who earlier was about eight assists for every three turnovers. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a pretty that's a pretty big difference, man. That's pretty obvious. All right, well, for the first time this season, K-State will face the Oklahoma Sooners. This is in Norman, the Lloyd Noble Center, tomorrow night at 8. And, again, pregame starts at 7 on our sister station, 101.5 K-Rock. And we'll join in progress here on K-Man after Manhattan High Hoops. But, you know, Potter Mosier's team, they get the win over Alabama, but that's like right in the middle of a very long losing streak in Big 12 play for the Sooners. They just haven't been that solid in Big 12 play. And if there's one plus – they're like one of the worst teams in the country of forcing turnovers, but I guess give us a, a look into the Oklahoma Sooners and what to expect tomorrow night. You, you touched on it there. They've lost four straight after beating Alabama, and when you go back to the 18th of January, well, even let's say the 14th of January when they beat West Virginia at home by a point, they've lost seven and eight, and that win was the one you're talking about that nobody can figure out against number two Alabama. They didn't beat them seventy-five to seventy, bud. It was ninety-three to sixty-nine, and they've they've flipped some things and changed some things around a little bit, trying to shake it up. Um, Jacob Groves has been starting most of the year, but not lately. They've gone with a freshman, a young man by the name of Otega Owe, um, and I I thought he did a, a pretty good job against Kansas. Had eleven points uh, in twenty-three minutes, and and I think for the last, I'm going to look at my chart here. I guess 17 straight starts now at the point guard position for another freshman in uh, Milo Juzan, and and he's done a nice job. Not a big score necessarily, but you know, roughly 27, 28 minutes a game, he's done okay. But they kind of go this way: Grant Sherfield, Jalen Hill, Tanner Groves. If those guys are playing well, they've got a chance to beat you. If not so much, then uh, they struggle, and it, it's hard to look at them and see a 12 and 13 team. Um, and a team that's seven and six at home, but that's that's what they are. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, the last couple of games, K State's been able to win the the uh, the rebounding fight. Yeah, it's helped. Yeah, it, it, especially when they haven't shot the ball as well, and and the turnover factor is a deal. That, that's what I'm hopeful for. I, I think Oklahoma's a pretty decent defensive team. I mean, they're <laughs> they're giving up sixty seven point four points per game, which isn't bad. But they're they're scoring sixty seven five, so thus thus you have a, a pretty five hundred ish kind of record. Um, so I, I think they're they're a beatable team, but you got to go out there and, and 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 put together a better solid overall game over forty minutes. I think to get it done. Yeah, don't you know unforced errors? Don't let those add up. And I was bringing up the rebounds. Jalen Hill, Tanner Groves are very good rebounders. Groves averaging seven yeah, a game, basically ten and seven a game. Yeah, right, they, right. they could beat you on the boards, and you might not be, uh, may not have too many opportunities for second chance points. Is basically what I'm getting at. 
Yeah. Well, Jalen Hill had 14 and 5 in, in the game against Kansas in a game where they, I mean, let's put it this way, KU won that ball game 78-55, and eight minutes in, they had four points. So Oklahoma has the ability to guard. <laughs> they may not be the best defensive team in the league, but they can guard you a little bit. And, and again, I think it, it it's easy to say this, and this is probably oversimplifying it, but to me, I think you you ought to look at tomorrow night's game this way. Who's going to make some shots? Mm-hmm. That that that's probably the deal. Yeah, just a huge issue on Saturday, not hitting uh, open shots for sure. Why? Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, one last question here, I guess, and uh, you know, feel free not to answer if this is overstepping a little bit because I know it's after the game, you're on the bus, but like. When, when this K-State team has been losing these games recently, are, have they been taking it pretty hard once they get on that oh, yeah. bus you guys are heading out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's the thing that, that I appreciate about these guys. I, I think you've been around them guys enough to, to know that they really care. And, and it, it hurts when you lose and you don't play like you're supposed to play. Um, you know, they're young and, and uh, they have been through a pretty difficult stretch here. I think I remember saying at one point, and now, this wasn't the case in, in Saturday's game, but I think going into Saturday, they had played six ranked teams in their previous eight games. So they've been through a pretty tough stretch. And this is the first time really all year where they've really struggled like this. So hopefully they, I mean, we, we know what they're capable of doing. You got to get, but you got to find a way to get back to that, whatever it takes. All right. Well, I enjoy your, co- excuse me caught there a little bit enjoy your call on on uh, tomorrow night i'll be listening to the second off on the way back from emporia uh will be uh there will be actually no wildcat insider on next monday due to uh k-state baseball in texas but uh we'll be talking to you here very soon that sounds good but great talk to you man appreciate it that is wyatt thompson voice of the cats hall of fame voice you can hear him in norman oklahoma tomorrow night again the broadcast will start on our sister station, 101.5 K-Rock. The whole thing will actually be there with uh, pregame at 7, tip-off at 8. And, um, again, that is tomorrow night. We'll join in progress here on K-Man after Manhattan Hoops. We'll take a look at the Big 12 this week when we come back on Wildcat Insider. Well, the Big 12 week starts tonight, and it's a um, midweek weekend, midweek weekend for three more weeks, and then we enter Big 12 tournament, NCAA tournament time. So postseason basketball getting very close, but still three weeks to go in the Big 12, and a lot can happen. The question is, can Texas hold on to its lead? K-State is now two games back in the Big 12. With a record of 7-5, Texas in the lead at 9-3. and So K-State didn't do its job of keeping up with the pack and staying in the hunt for the Big 12 championship. I mean, from I mean, what I saw on Saturday tells me it's a team that doesn't win the Big 12 if it has that kind of performance on the road as we're getting into, you know, the crucial moments of the Big 12 slate. So things really gotta Turn around, I think, to get a lot of people's confidence back. It was really good for a while. Mm-hmm. Really good to begin the year. Now it's feels like a nosedive 
And now what this coaching staff is team fi- trying to figure out is, all right, now how do we bring that nose back up and quickly to get things back on track and still tr- go out and try to win a Big 12 championship? I totally believe this team can figure out a way to turn it around and get back to its winning ways. It just, you know, this is where the coaches step up and figure out those X's and O's and figure out how they can now start to attack differently. Because things just slow, I think it just slows way, the offense slows way down when Keontae Johnson has the ball. One of the things that goes through my mind throughout all of this, you're reminded that coaches are constantly learning during the course of games as well and during the schedule because they're having to learn the best way to handle the psychology of their guys. And in the case of this coaching staff, you're talking about a team that you relatively built from the ground up, and it's your first time with this group together as a staff. And so you're you're learning the psychology of how to handle all of this, plus the adjustments that you have to make during the course of a season, and how to best approach those with your players, and how to best approach each guy the right way so that it takes, so that it works, so that it clicks again. It's a challenge. It is. It's it's one of those things where I, I sit there and I go, this is why I couldn't be a coach. Because I don't know that I would have the ability to, you know, adjust to every single approach that has to be taken to be able to pull that off. That's delicate. And it takes a lot of work. And in season, it can be tough. Yeah, it's probably one of the hardest things to do as a coach is when you've been super successful halfway into the season, now you're getting into the second run of Big 12 play, and then things are not going well all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And there's way too many turnovers. You're losing games. And now you're trying to find that success again. You have no practice time on your schedule, essentially, because most of what you're dealing with at this point now is – the grind of playing midweek weekend, the travel that's involved, the competition that's involved, and in this league, that's a grinder. And you're trying to ensure that guys are rested and available and ready to go for the next time out. And those things add up. You're spending a lot more time with video now and film than you are with real practice time. And that takes a toll, too. So I mentioned Texas in first place at nine and three. There's a tie for second between Baylor and KU at eight and four. There's a three-way tie for fourth place at seven and five. K-State, Iowa State, and guess what? Oklahoma State is now tied with the Cats for fourth place. That's a team that has really done well lately. They have won mm-hmm. four straight in Big Twelve play. That is the longest winning streak. They've won five straight overall. The longest winning streak in the Big Twelve. TCU has dropped to six and six. That's seventh place. And eighth is West Virginia. Ninth, tied for ninth is Oklahoma and Texas Tech. I think I've seen enough, even though they beat Alabama. I think Texas or I think um, Oklahoma is the worst team in the Big Twelve. I think Potter Mosier has mailed it in. Um, he I, the rumors are you know they've been going around that he's get, he's thinking about taking the Notre Dame job. Which why is anybody even attracted to this guy as a coach? He had one stint. One four-year stretch where he had success and everything else has been mediocre. 
And someone tried to argue that with me over the weekend. But you have, if you break down the numbers, he had four years. Everything else has been literally mediocre to bad. I've never understood the the lure for Porter Mosier as your head coach at a Power Five. Here are your bowl games tonight. Number eight, Texas at Texas Tech. It's at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Big Monday in Lubbock. Uh, well, you know, it's Big Monday because, well, they were expecting Chris Beard to be the head coach of Texas at this point, and yeah. he is not. So it won't be the reaction like they got last year. But can Texas Tech do it three home games in a row and that's beat a top 25 team? I mean, if Texas turns it over 25, yeah. you know, 20 times, there's a chance. I, I, I'm still floored that the line is as limited as it is going in. Three and a half points. Meanwhile, West Virginia at Baylor, it's at 8 o'clock ESPN 2. Uh, hopefully you can work, work out a way to watch them both at the same time. Kind of talking to myself there. Uh, but I'm totally taking Baylor all the way. By the way, K-State also plays at the same time tomorrow as Number five, Kansas at Oklahoma State. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion. KU's on upset alert. I mean, No line out on that game yet. But the way Oklahoma State's been playing, they are the hottest team in the Big 12 right now. The hottest team. Um, this is like not the time you want to play in Stillwater no. if you're the Kansas Jayhawks. Meanwhile, the game on Wednesday, um, as I'm trying to make this work here, is is uh, TCU at is at is TCU at Iowa State. I'm going to probably take the Cyclones on that, depending if Mike Miles is back or not. And of course, everybody playing on Saturday, and of course, the marquee matchup there is Iowa State at K State, one o'clock on ESPN. We'll take a quick break and uh, go ahead. I was just going to note uh, KU uh, minus two and a half. Oh, so okay, that was according to Caesars. That's what I was going off. Yeah, uh, Fanduel on got Fanduel. It. Yeah. See, uh, FanDuel's got it at uh, minus two and a half for KU. Uh, K State's a one and a half favorite going into OU tomorrow night. God, that was the same line going into Lubbock. Uh huh. I swear, that'd be that would be a, the the gigantic blow of the year. Oh, it, it was God. a blow against Texas Tech. If you lose at Norman, then things are really. It feels like just falling apart. <laughs> I mean, then I think the panic button is being pushed. But I will tell you what, there will be a fresh Mitch Palm coming up tomorrow as Troy will be hosting. I'm going to be on my way to Emporia. I'm going to make sure to give you a little Mitch Palm uh, before you hear Manhattan High Hoops at 6 o'clock. All right, Travion, we'll take a quick break. We'll get some Ask Us Anything after these words. All right, Travion, you're going to give us some cues. Hopefully we have some A's. Right. Uh, what is something you thought would be a great idea but was a terrible idea when you actually did it? To make a jackass movie. You wanted to make your own jackass Honestly, movie? Honestly, yeah. Who didn't? Um, <laughs> back in like 2000, 2001, 2002, like into the first movie they made because I was just the ripe age of 12 and 13 and I was really into BMX. At the time, I had a BMX bike. There was like dirt hills all over the, like around uh, this certain area of Morganville, ramping them all the time. Sure, why not record some uh, some accidents on VHS? Did you ever do the shopping cart thing? No, it's because we couldn't get a shopping cart. Right. <laughs> that was like the that was like the uh, the bit wow. though that kind of launched Jackass was the CKY stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Bam Margera. I, I was just hearing. Uh, I just listened to a podcast that he and his family did uh, because he is a recovering alcoholic. Yes, and he was. I don't know a, if he's 
He's doing recovered. a lot. <laughs> he's doing a lot better now. He has been really, really struggling. He's just getting back to skateboard. Because I really followed those guys when I was a kid, like the Margeras, because they were April and Phil. I remember their names. They were the coolest parents. The show you remember Viva, Viva La, La Bam. Bam. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were the coolest people. They took so much crap for those from those guys. But I've I've I recently heard that podcast and they talked about like when they were, the the Margera brothers were growing up and about how cool the parents were. The dad would take him like pull him out of school to go meet famous skateboarders because they love skateboarding. I was like that's that's awesome. Yep. So I'm glad. Ever since Ryan Dunn died in that car accident in Old Bam, he had been good. He he he, had, he wasn't doing well. It's a shame. And I heard the the recent Jackass movie that they made, it was like drug and alcohol free. Nothing was allowed on set, yes. anything. And they didn't yeah. go out and drink every night. They kept it kept it cool, kept it clean. It was pretty good too. I liked it. I didn't actually I haven't watched the newest one. Troy probably forgot the question by now because I kept rambling. The Probably would would have been the two years in Lincoln, Nebraska. How's that? <laughs> I get I get it. But you have runs up there, right? <laughs> yeah, you do. When I was making that Jackass movie, I took my bike off the ramp and I landed sideways. Ouch! I had a bruise from my calf all the way up to basically my butt cheek. Ouch. Bruised, giant bruise. It was during the summer. I had to wear pants. Because then everybody else would see it. Right. Pants during the summer. That's when we called it a wrap on the movie. Uh-huh. All Makes right. Sense. Troy has gotten a full two hours tomorrow, but a Mitch Palm will be coming your way as well. Go Cats! Go Cats!